Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Joseph and Zulega Torres. Thank you, Pastor. That video was powerful and impacting. And um, that's just the expression of what we here in this house have done and what we've been able to be taught um, since we started this ministry many years ago. And we've seen the return on our investment. And it hasn't just been monetary. It's been also um, in every area that you can imagine, having a joyful and blessed family, um, health, and all kinds of things. The Lord, you know, one thing I've learned about the Lord is that he would never keep any debt with any man, and we could never outgive God because he gave his best for us, which was his only son. And so we're super grateful for the goodness of God in our life. It's a blessing and an honor uh, for us to be able to be here together, sharing. Um, I haven't done this with Suleika in a long time, and so I'm excited. We're going to have a good time up here tonight, and we'll try to fit it all in. But... um. I know that um, the Lord has been good to us, and, and um, you know, this thing about family has been um, our, our, our heartbeat, uh, marriage. It's what God has called us to, is to help families and marriages uh, stay together, get restored, to strengthen, and to be encouraged. And, and what we're raising up here, when I see Nick, um, having seen him since birth, all the way till now, an 18-year-old strong man, I see the children that are being brought up in this house. Um, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for that. I have to tell you, those things don't just happen, right? That's right. They don't. We say that all the time. You think that this, this guy, good-looking, young specimen, <laughs> just happens. It doesn't. You know, that's the Lord. That's paying a price. That's That's, you know... His parents have a lot to do with that, you think? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. And yeah, so, especially the good-looking part. He yes, gets that from his mother. That's right, you know. <laughs> and so we know uh, that God's going to do that with your kids also. If you stay faithful to the Lord, you keep them in a good home, which this is a good home. Um, this is a, a healthy home. And, and we're growing, you know, we're not growing here uh, seeds of, of grapes. We're growing a big fruit watermelons uh and and we're healthy and so when people come in here and they want to take a bite out of our youth they see the richness of god in these kids and these young men and women that are being trained up here and that's what we're going to speak to you tonight a little bit um and it's called the message that god gave me tonight speaking about the family was an invitation to the king's table an invitation to the king's table Man, just with a message, just with a title like that, we can all go home already. <laughs> but no, God's gonna God's gonna pour out, I believe, His grace tonight. And um, you know, when when we when we met Suleika and I, and 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 we met in youth group when our pastor was a youth pastor, um, you know, the Lord really uh, family met each other and a, and a heart for marriage. Me coming from a broken home, uh, seeing and growing up without a dad, I was able to experience a tough upbringing and so 
Um, basically, people ask us all the time when we counsel them, we get our instruction from the Word of God and, and, and through good examples. Um, and, and when we give the, these things to people, we tell them, well, we just basically learned what not to do. Amen. We learned to do the opposite of what we saw our parents do, and it's a tragedy. It's, it's sad, but it is a fact. And so I came to the Lord around the age of 21, 20, and, and then um, when I met Suleika, she had a similar background um, growing up in, from a broken home also. So imagine we come together experiencing that life, and, and we decided that we were going to um, fight with everything that was in us through the, with the Lord's strength for family and marriages. And, and that's been the expression of, of God's heart through us for the last 15 years. Yes, like Joy said, um, I too was a product of a divorce family. And we know the devastation and the hurt that divorce causes in families. And that's why we have a passion and a burden to not let that happen to anyone else. And um, we do believe that we can change the world. And we do believe that um, we can do that by saving marriages and saving the family and teaching them the ways of God and the way that God would have their families be established. And I'm excited to share what we're going to share today because it's hopefully going to help your family be stronger and last forever. Amen. Um, hearing where my wife comes from, you know, a nine-year-old little girl, having witnessed at some point in time her parents with a gun pointed to the other and her little girl peeking through the door and having witnessed that as a little girl, um, because they wanted to literally kill each other, right? You saw that. And, and her having come home from college, because it wasn't until later that um, her parents were, they divorced. Her coming home from college and having the light cut off. And, and sometimes people see us and they don't even know. And like I know a lot of you have powerful testimonies. And, but God has the victory. God knows what he's doing. And so when we met, we said, you know, we're going to be... Uh, we're going to impact the nations with, with, uh, to establish family and marriages. I knew even before I met Joey that God definitely had a different plan for my life, and it wasn't the way I was being brought up. And I knew that God was going to do something different in my life, that I was going to marry a man that was going to love God above all things, love me, treat me the way that God wanted me to be treated. And I held on to that promise, and God was super faithful and brought me that gift. Ta-da! You're the gift. And now we're living the You're good the life. gift to me, not me to you, but we're each other's gift. Yeah, I'm actually going to say that later. Well, every time, <laughs> well, every time, I, every time I walk and I'm alone, when she's next to me, I look a lot better. I'm just saying. The order of God has been established since the beginning. And we're going to talk to you a little bit tonight about God's order, about God's table, and how he intended family to uh, get stronger in the Lord. And we're going to see how God created the first family to ever exist, the first institution of marriage. And let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In verse 28. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God basically was saying, we're going to create man, and then we want you to be fruitful and multiply. And God created man from the dust of the earth. If we see in Genesis 2-7, the earth was created, the world was created. 
And God saw, wow, this is, he had, you know, a beautiful land that he was creating. And then he said, from the dust of the earth, he created man. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We're an expression. We're we're God's creation. And, And as a man growing up, as a man being brought up, I mean being brought up from the dust of the earth, if that's what God created and you're a man, and you come from the dust of the earth, then basically you're God's creation. You, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you need to know your identity. You need to say, I come from God. God created me. Not just the heavens and the earth, but God created me. I am his creation. If you can really get that revelation, when you ever have anybody ask you, where do I come from? I don't know where I come from. God created you. He created you from the dust of the earth. And that is incredible. It's powerful. It should bring peace to your heart to know that God created you. But then God went a little further. You know where I'm going with it? God went a little bit further. And when he saw man wondering, he's like, wait a second. Man looks a little lost. He's, he looks a little not sure of what's going on. I love what I created. He's a man, but God said man is missing something. How many of you know what that is? Help. Help. I need help. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. If you guys, in case you don't believe me. So then the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Thank God, right? Verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So if we can just break this down for a second, that God, was, God created man. He created the world. He created the earth. Then he created man. Then he saw it wasn't good for man to be alone. So then he created woman. Why is it that a lot of times, if we know this creation, we still wonder, if you're married and you're here tonight, look at each other, your husband or wife, and say, man, I'm glad we're here. Tell them, tell each other. Say, I'm glad we're here because this is what's happening, right? Sometimes when marriages come together and families come together, they are still wondering whether or not this is the husband or wife that God intended for them to have. And if you've entered into the covenant of marriage, I have news for you. It is the husband or wife that God intended you to have. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a, a, a by accident. And, and like you see, um, pastor and his family went to Peru and, oh, oops, mistake. We got the wrong room. God doesn't mistakes. That's God's divine favor and order in their life. And that's exactly what God did for you when he brought your spouse into your life, the family. So let's say once the family, we tell couples this all the time, once families are created, once you get married and you have your wife, this is the first institution of marriage created by God, Adam and Eve. Once that happens, then there you become a family. When we tell couples we give them premarital counseling, we say, once you guys get married, 
even before you have children, the two of you, them, you're a family from the moment you say, I do. You already have your family. Then when you have children, you're multiplying, and then that's your offspring. And so we'll get into that order in a minute. God's order is perfect. We have, this is the order, because a lot of people twist the order. It's God, woman, I'm sorry, God, thank you. See, that's why we need help. We need help. God, man, women, children, then ministry, and then everything else. We see how Paul spoke to Timothy. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And here he was speaking to overseers, and we've actually been studying this on Monday nights with the men, and it's been powerful. And we've read, a lot of us have read these verses many, many times. But he was speaking to the deacons and to the overseers, and, 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 and to have your children under control, um, and to have your family under control, and to see in God's divine order. So you see God, man, woman, then the children, and then ministry and everything else. Tonight we'll talk to you about the family and the importance of the family, spending time together. And God desires that the family serves Jesus together and that they would influence the lost with their zeal and passion for him. Let's pray tonight. Father, we come before you, Lord. We give you thanks for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for your creation. We thank you for giving us your son to die for us, Father. We thank you for your love towards us, your goodness, Father. We thank you for creating family, Lord. We care about family, Lord, and we love family because you love family, Lord. And we're going to fight to keep the families together, to teach them your instruction, Lord, to teach them your ways and your divine order, Father, so that they will not fall astray or fall short of what you have intended for them, God. Give us grace, give us wisdom, and give us your peace tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God's order has been established. We first start with the man. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm, around, I'm reminded of this verse because um, this, is, this is where God gives the order in his scripture. And this is, uh, this is what God says. It says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. And so that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And so we see God's divine order there established since the beginning. We see how God wants um, man to follow that order. But how many times have we seen families where that's a little twisted? And so we're going to talk to you a little bit about what that order is. And we see in what priority we should live out our life. God loves the family, and he wants nothing more than for you to build your family according to his instruction. Something that God hates is separation and divorce. There's nothing more that God hates than that. And so we've had people tell us when they're trying to fight for their family and they're not getting along or, or a divorce scenario, people tell us, well, I'm going to pray and seek God's will out to see if it's God's will whether we get divorced or not. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, well, if God hates divorce, then you should hate divorce. And something that God hates is separation and divorce. Malachi 2.16, the Message Bible, I like how it says it in the Message Bible. It says, I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. The God of the army say, says, I hate the violent dismembering of, the, of one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. 
don't cheat. And so um, I like the way that that says that. It says don't cheat. Don't cut yourself short. Don't, don't let your guard down. Don't, don't give in to those little voices that tell you, hey, hey I'm not sure if, if we should separate, if we should divorce. Let me check it out. Let me see if this is God's will. I'm telling you, if you're married and your family is together, then you stay together. You work it out. You figure it out. We tell people all the time, the grass is not greener on the other side. If you think that you're going to find someone better, you think that it's going to be easier if you start over with someone new, well, I'm here to tell you, it's the same smell, the same payments, the same arguments, but instead, now you're going to just bring it on to someone else. Now you're just going to start it out with something else. So now, like uh, they challenged my son the other day in seventh grade at school, they said, hey, man, you do have a girlfriend? And he's like, what? No, of course not. I'm in seventh grade, man. What's wrong with you? And so the guy's like, listen, here's, here's what's happening. You see that girl over there, man? She likes you. And he goes, well, tell her that we could be friends. But my focus right now is on God, on school, and on baseball. And I'm not interested. And he goes, what are you talking about, man? Who are you? What's your... He goes, look, let me, t- let me tell you what we're learning in the men of honor and what my father has raised me up to. This is what Joseph's telling me that he told the kid. This is what he told us. Tell him, tell him what he said about the heart. When he shows up, she has a better memory than me. Actually, you say that story better, but I'll say this part. He says that he says that he told him. He says, you know, if I start liking this girl now and then another one later and another one later, I mean, come on, I'm 12 years old. You know, what can I really do with her? It's not like I'm going to marry this girl or anything. By the time that I actually find the woman that I am going to marry, I'm going to give her this tiny little piece of my heart. He goes, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold out and I'm going to wait for the wife that God has me so then I can give her all of my heart. Watermelons. I'm telling you, you guys, you guys, we have, we, you guys have the good tour. That's what we're training up here, and 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 here it's saying, don't let your guards down, guard down. So we're gonna deal first with the man really quick, and then we'll go into the woman. The man, it starts with the man, and that's why we try to encourage so many men to come out and receive what God has for you on Monday nights, because men, if you don't connect yourself with God. If you don't listen to the voice of the Lord and you don't put your life uh, with your spiritual antennas up and learn what it is to be a real man, a real husband, a real father, then your whole family will be an expression of you falling short. They're just going to follow your lead. They're going to follow your bad temper. Your wife's going to follow you. And so the man, for some years now, we have been studying the Ed Cole books, and they've been powerful. And we've had the privilege of learning what manhood is. And so there's a lot to say about a man, and I'm super excited um, about What is a Man, the book that Pastor wrote. I can't wait for the English version to come out. I'm super excited the Spanish one came out, and that's what our world needs. They need to know what a man is, because if they don't know what a man is, the family will not survive, because the men need to lead their family to the cross. The men need to lead their family to victory. The men need to lead their families to do the right thing. They need to teach them. If the man doesn't teach them, then what ends up happening is the woman will take control, and that's out of God's order, and that's why things fall apart all the time. And so since we've been learning um, these books of what a man is, uh, there's a lot to say about a man, but I'll give you a brief explanation for the hundredth time that we've heard here. Uh, But just in case if you forgot, 
A man is one who takes responsibility. Being a male is a matter of birth, but being a man is a matter of choice. A lot of men, uh, a lot of men grew up with the void uh, of not receiving a father's hug or guidance. And that's where the bitterness and the roots come out as they enter into manhood. Um, I had a 50-year-old man just this week tell me, I want to learn what it is to be a man. I don't know. I messed up. I don't know how I let so-and-so into my house and how this ended up happening with my family. How did that happen? If I would have known better, I would have I protected. I would have known how to be the protector. I would have known. I saw this person as a, as a friend, as a whatever. And so I didn't know. I wish I would have known. And so that's what we're teaching. If you're like me, you grew up without a godly man example in your life, and you're acting and giving based on what you think a man is. Some men think having a lot of money defines their manhood or their size of their house or the car they drive or how big their muscles are or how many women they can sleep with. And these are all tragedies that a man brings into his marriage and then carries it over, uh, carries over this misguidance to his children. And so how many times have you seen where these men work, 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 get, 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 and at the end of the day, they are empty. They have no substance. They got no backbone. They got no definition. They don't know what a real man is. And I'm not saying to be prosperous is not from the Lord, but I'm just saying that a lot of men think that because they have a lot of money or a big bank account, that that's what's going to make them happy as men, that that's what's going to satisfy their wives, that that's what's going to give. We've had so many men come here that have had riches galore, that have had the big cars, even the big muscles, and they fall short of a man. And so that's the tragedy that we have. These are all tragedies that a man brings into his marriage. And, and the then, thing is, Joy, too, that um, if I might say that women are looking for men to lead them, for a man, for their husband to be men and lead them. They're tired of doing the man's job. They weren't built for that. They weren't created for that. They're just picking up slack because a man isn't doing it. But even though you think that that woman wants to take control and wants to be in charge and is happy doing deep down inside she wants a man that's going to lead her she wants a man that's going to lead her to god she wants a man that's going to be the head of her home she wants that burden off of her because god never created her to carry that burden she wasn't built to carry that load and so that's why joy's challenging the men to rise up and to take their place as godly men in their homes amen for that and and you've heard it straight from the woman men you heard it straight from a woman, what a woman wants. And so in case you're thinking I'm lying to you, you heard it firsthand. And so that's the truth. And when I met Suleika, the first thing I told her was that I had a, a calling to serve the Lord. And I asked her if she was willing uh, to answer that call with me. And he said, you don't have to answer that right now. You can think about it if you want first. Because <laughs> I knew that I was being called out to serve the Lord. I knew it wasn't a coincidence that I had met the man of God with the zeal and passion that he had and, and, and the direction that we were going. I didn't know where we were going, but I just knew we were going. And, um, and that's still the case today. And I know that God is faithful. And what, we, and what God has done through us so far has been super powerful. And, and so I asked her that question. And um, <laughs> thank God she said yes, because for years we have died to ourselves, our desires, and have paid a price to serve the Lord. And if I would have been... Um, Without a woman that didn't fear and love the Lord the way that Suleika does, we would be toast. 
And most of you know, we recently just got ordained and our heart's desire has come true to give all and give it all for God, uh, to take a fearless and aggressive step of faith to serve the Lord with everything we've got. I'm reminded of the verse in Hebrews, if we can go there for a moment. Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. And um, it says this, it says, when it was, by, it was by faith that Noah built the ark, and it was, it was by faith Abraham obeyed, the, obeyed God, not knowing where he was going. Uh, can you imagine the Lord telling Noah to build an ark when there was no rain? Noah said, okay, I'll do it. I'm not afraid. I'll, I'll do it. And, and by faith, everybody telling him, you're crazy. You're toasted. You're nuts. You're, 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 this is not going to happen. But he did. Abraham obeyed, the, obeyed God, not knowing where he was going. Can you imagine God telling you, hey, do this. I'm with you. Do not fear. We're going to go in this direction. That has to be tough. But when you know God, but when you know God and God speaks, man, I'm talking to you, and tells you to do something, the worst thing that could happen is that you don't obey and you don't listen and you're driven by fear. That is, I don't know, but it's called basically a coward. And um, tell us, Suleika, what you think of a cowardly man. What does that make you feel like, a coward? I think that I can speak for most women and say that a cowardly man is nauseating to a woman um, because a woman wants to be covered. She wants to be protected. She wants to be that. She wants to feel secure. And she doesn't want a man that doesn't know where he's going. And I'm not saying that in a sense that we've been talking about. I'm saying that he knows who he's following. And because he knows who he's following, he knows where he's going. And that means that he's following God and he's seeking God for guidance for their home. And a man who's calling up his wife and saying, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how we're going to pay this bill. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know where we're going to live. I don't know if you're going to have a car tomorrow. I don't even know if we're going to have a roof over our head. That is sickening to a woman. That is the opposite of what the woman wants. She wants to feel cared for. She wants to feel provided for. She wants to feel secure. And as much as she, if she's a Christian, hopefully, loves God and knows that God will take care of her, she knows that God's desire for her is to have a godly man by her side that follows the Lord and could lead her in the ways of God and has his dependence on the Lord. And the only fear he has is the fear of the Lord because he knows the God in whom he serves. He knows the God that he trusts. His confidence is in his God. And he's not putting a burden that she wasn't meant to carry on her and being afraid to make decisions. That doesn't mean that a husband can't consider his wife's opinion or, or what she thinks about things. And, and Joy will talk about that later maybe. Um, but it does mean that he does need to be sure about who he's following, what God says that he wants for his life and the direction that God is taking him towards. I want to tell you that there's men here in this house that are Noah's and are Abraham's. And they're not afraid to lead the troops into battle, the battles of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And these are the type of men that I want to encourage you to hang out with. These are the type of men that you should make it a point to surround yourself with. When you surround yourself with cowardly men and um, casi hombres, half men, then that's what you're going to get. You're going to become one of them. I love what it says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 
And so you have to make it a point to walk with the men that know that they are not afraid to serve the Lord. A foolish man is one who doesn't obey the Almighty God of Israel. A godly man has not been called to be weak or to walk in fear. The most nauseating, like Suleika said, and unattractive thing uh, for a woman is to be with a man that is driven by fear because then she feels unprotected, not provided for. No woman wants to be with a man like that. This will cause the woman to take on a role that God did not intend for her to take. And eventually, she will feel burdened, unappreciated, and will become the mom, the dad, the handyman, the accountant. We know people that we've met that the woman ended up changing the light bulbs, cutting the grass, doing all the handiwork around the house, paying the bills, supporting, cleaning, cooking. Guess what's going to end up happening? If the man's not giving the woman, and you're not being the man that God called you to be, and you're not providing for the woman what God called you to give, she's going to find it somewhere else. And then the man's going to wonder, but I work, and I pay the bills, and I, I, at least I give the check is in the bank account every, every week. What else does she want? Well, she doesn't want to be the man. You be the man. Because if there is no man, you have to be the man. And for the man that is doing his part, it will be evident on the countenance of his wife. This is powerful. Listen, you know how we measure who men are here? We look at their wives. And we look at their children. And we look into their life. And we say, we'll know if the man's being the man. And if you're here tonight and you're not married, single, then these are the types of things that you, you should look into. These are the types of things you should be listening to. These are, this is the type of manhood that you should aspire to be, just like this. And you've heard it from, from my wife and from myself. I've seen the face of some of the wives, and they have, I'm going to say it in Spanish, and then you can try to translate it. They have tremendo cara tranque. They look like sour, a sourpuss. Yes, but it's in Spanish, it's, it's hard. Um, yeah, it sounds better in Spanish. <laughs> they never smile. They're always caught up in gossip. They're just bitter and sad and always complaining about everything. And in some of these families, they actually call themselves disciples of Christ. They call themselves Christian. That's sad. That's not good. So, men, I'm telling you that if that's happening, you are fumbling the ball. You need to take responsibility. You need to find out what you're doing wrong and where you're falling short, why your wife has that countenance upon her, and what is happening there, and how you're following short, falling short. And his children, um, you know, your children have to be under control if you call yourself a man. This will be a healthy sign of what a godly man should look like. If your children are all over the place, running up and down, doing whatever they want, I've, I've even seen, and I'll give this example, and just the little things, but it makes a difference. Um, if you go across a uh, country, and, 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 and let's say you go to an inviter, you go to a conference, uh, and, and you have your kids with you, or you have visitors come over your house, or even here in the church, and let's say Suleika and I are having a conversation with someone else or another couple, right? And my daughter just comes up and runs up, to us and says, dad, dad, in the middle of me talking to the people, I've seen parents that they just ignore the adult in the middle of their sentence. They forget about the conversation. They give importance and priority to the child that has just interrupted their conversation with these adults. And they say to their child, yes, how can I help you? And the person stays stuck and you're giving priority. So what we have done is we've taught our kids since baby, when mom and dad are talking, 
Come on. When mom and dad are talking, yeah, you need to come. You need to teach. We've taught our children to come up to us, and, and she'll put her hand, or my son will put her, his hand on our arm without interrupting, and that will let us know that they need to tell us something important. And then when we're ready, we'll say, Mr. So-and-so, please excuse me for a moment. What is it? I need to use the bathroom. Okay. Can you please excuse me? And you go and you take care of business. That's the proper way. That is when your children are under control. Amen? And so we can give 100 million examples, um, but the man has been called to discipline, and the woman has been called to nurture. That's the roles there, but that's talking about something else. We're talking now about manhood. The example of a wife's face, the other day I saw my wife, and this is something the Lord gave me, and I told her, when I, when I got up, it was in the morning, I think it was, um, it doesn't matter the part of the house, but I, walked up in the mor- I woke up in the morning, and I saw her, and I looked at her, and I, put, I said, man, I look good, but I was looking at her. Do you guys understand? I said, man, I look good. Because she looked good. If she looks good, I look good. And that's my goal. So I said this. This is what I said. I said, when you, this is my quote. When you see your wife, you are looking at yourself. So if you want to look good, then you treat your wife with the highest honor and regard. I thank God that I married a kingmaker. And if it wasn't for my wife... I wouldn't be able to have the family and the ministry that I have. That's a fact. And so I tell the men, if you're not married, buddy, you better pray to God and choose wisely. Because women will make you or break you. Okay? And so that's a truth right there. And I, I need to really uh, say that. And so, Suleika, um, we have the order of God. And I just told you briefly, because there's a lot more about man, and now Soleika will speak to you about the woman. That was good stuff, right? <laughs> well, like Joy started off saying that the man was created in the image of God and from the dust of the earth, and the woman came out of man, but she too was created in the image of God. And she is not to be looked upon as being less than the man because in the eyes of God, she's also his creation. And he loves her just as much, and she's also created in his image. And the woman, the wife, is actually a gift from the Lord to man, to her husband, just like it says in Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable, or another one says suitable, to him. So God saw that it wasn't good for this man to be roaming about. Amen. Without a perfect helper. I know Joey sometimes we're driving around, he gets lost on the streets and the directions. I got to help him out, help him find his way. Um, God put us together that in, the, in a good way. In Thank that. you, Lord. <laughs> and um, so it was really good. It was not good for man to be alone. So he made for him a helper that was suitable to him. And he tried first with all the animals and none of them was good enough until he made woman. And she was the perfect one for him. So wives, you're a gift from God to your husbands, and he needs you too. Yes, his trust is in the Lord and everything, but God says that it wasn't good for him to be alone. So um, you're his perfect helper. The Bible says too that a prudent wife comes from the Lord. That's just another verse just to back it up. 
Um, we recently learned um, when we met Bishop Wellington Boone a few years ago and we had the privilege and honor of reading uh, his book, Women Are Kingmakers, um, that we as wives are kingmakers. And what does that mean? That's, that sounds like so strange, I think, you know, in a way, but it's so true. And um, a kingmaker, a woman kingmaker, understands that her calling is a very high call. A wife, a woman that's a kingmaker, understands that she has a huge responsibility on her hands. The way that she lives, the things that she does, the way that she conducts her daily, daily affairs, everything that she's doing, she realizes that she's doing it because she's building up kings. Amen. And um, the atmosphere that she creates in her home supports this call, this idea that she has that she's a kingmaker. And I love how Yvette says all the time, she said this once years ago, and I never forgot, that the wife is like the heart of the home. The wife sets the tone in the home. She like sets the atmosphere in the home. And um, she knows that in order to, to be this kingmaker, she must please and live like the king of kings. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. In order for a woman to be a successful kingmaker, to be a godly wife, to be a godly mother to fulfill the call upon her life, she has to realize that she has a Savior who gave his life for her, who loves her, who's called her, who's given her a new name, and that she wants to please him and live like him and be like him. And without that, we won't be able to be um, successful. The wife is the one that's supposed to create this nurturing environment in the home, like Joy said, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that entails. But it starts with, and here comes the big bang, all right? <laughs> I'm going to give you a, a heads up. It starts with the way that you treat your husband. That's what it starts with, all right? Because, of course, if we start mistreating our husbands and we don't give him the respect that he deserves and we don't treat him like the king that he is, what do you think our kids are going to do? They're going to treat him like we treat him, right? What do you think the people in the streets are going to do? They're not going to respect him either because if his wife doesn't respect him, why would anybody else respect him? So the word of God says in Ephesians 5.22, which I know that this verse, we sometimes don't want to hear it, but we're going to read it anyways. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Maybe you're thinking, this isn't fair. Why does it have to be this way? How come he gets to be the head and he gets to be in charge? Well, it's pretty simple. Who did God create first? God created man first. That's just the way God did it. And then he gave him the woman. And God made him the head. And so we just have to trust that this is God's order and this is where the blessing is going to be at. And this is what is going to please God. And this is how everything's going to work out. And Joy was talking about that we wanted to share with you the order of God. We need to take, each person in the family needs to take their place according to the order of God in order for us to have a strong family. In order for us to have a family that is going to change the world. We have to do things according to God's way. And um, there's this other wonderful book called Liberated Through Submission that um, shows that being submissive, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a liberating experience. It's wonderful. I'm super glad that um, he gets to be in charge because that takes a huge load off of me too. He has to, you know, give account to God for all the decisions that he makes in the home and, and everything that's going on. Um, but as we submit to our husbands, 
That means that we come under him. That means that we understand that God made him the head, and God has a plan and a purpose with everything that he does. And um, there's different ways that, that we can do this, and I know we've studied this a, a lot at different times, and we've gotten in depth, and, and today we don't have time to really go into a lot of detail about what that is, but um, I think that the wife has to uh, have at least the mindset, this is a good start, to have the mindset that your husband is the king of your home. And that we need to treat him in that way. And what a difference it would make if when our husbands got home, we treated him like that. We said, you know, how was your day? You have a, a meal being prepared. You, you know, you give him some time to unwind. And, and you talk to him with respect and with love. And then you encourage the kids to have their homework done before he gets home. Or to at least, you know, if they didn't have time to finish, be sitting quietly to have the house more or less in some kind of an order. You think these are simple little practical things and they're not spiritual, but they are. They are spiritual because you're honoring God by honoring your husband and by doing these things because you know that it's going to make his life easier. It's going to show him that you love him, that you care for him, that you respect him. And those things are actually important to him. And the same way that the woman wants to feel uh, that she's got a man by her side that's going to take care of her and provide for her, you know, these things are going to make him feel special too, and they're super important. They're going to allow him to be able to fulfill the call that God has on his life. As simple and as practical as those things may seem, they're actually um, going to do them. In Titus 2, 4 through 5, we read that it says, this is, this is what older women are called to teach the younger women. It says that they adm admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. This is, this is all part, or in another version says that they will not malign the word of God. Um, these are all things that we can do that, that allow us to, to understand what our role as kingmakers are. We know that our children, too, are future kings. We were all called to rule and reign with Christ one day. And even the way that we, that we treat our husbands, like I was talking about, and those simple practical things that we do to make them feel special, there's also other things we could do, of course, by praying for him and encouraging him and just, you know, honoring him in so many different ways. Our children as well. The way that we talk about our husbands to our children is super important. That when dad says something, we back up what dad says. We don't turn around and say, never mind what he said. Don't worry about that. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's right. That will create a monster. That's horrible. We've heard horror stories of, of what that could do, actually. And, um, you know, th this is all part of it, the way that, that the, the image, the picture that you portray of your husband, of their father to the children is huge. Um, there is a, a simple, practical little thing that I could share in our home that sometimes I, I forget about and I have to remind myself. My husband likes quiet in the morning and... Um, he doesn't like us to get agitated in the mornings or raise our voices or bicker, which is sometimes hard when you're trying to wake kids up for school and you're trying so hard not to get there on time. Our and comb's always here. Yes, <laughs> our comb's always um, It's a little hard sometimes to not get a little upset and raise the tone of the voice. And uh, sometimes I, I forget and allow myself to escalate my tone a little bit. Um, but then I have to remember that he doesn't like that. And so I say, I can't do this because my husband doesn't like it. And so by not doing that and having order, having that peace and quiet in the morning and keeping that under control, I'm showing him 
that I respect him, that I respect what I say, and the kids know that he doesn't like that. And so by me being obedient to him and submitting to him in that and giving him that request, it's showing them that I respect him, and then they're going to respect him as well. And so that's just a little example of something practical, that if your husband doesn't like something, don't do it, or try not to. Or he likes everybody to be showered before he gets home too, so that uh, we don't have to take time away from being together when we do that. So I try to have that as much as possible um, done and taken care of. So there's simple practical things in your lives, and you know your spouses, you know each other, you know things that, that you can do to please one another. And um, there might be some men that are here that might be thinking, yeah, you don't do any of that stuff. You don't care about me. You know, why aren't you like that? I tell you I don't like this. Guys, it's going to be a lot easier for your wives to submit to you and to do these things if you're a man like the one Joy is talking about. It's going to make her job easier. She's going to want to do these things. She's going to want to do it. But regardless, to the husband and to the wife, you got to be accountable to God. And you got to do what's right before the Lord because it's got to start somewhere. If everybody, I mean, we counsel couples all the time, and these couples are always, yeah, but he doesn't, but she doesn't. And then they're each waiting for the other one to start doing what they're supposed to be doing before they do what they're supposed to be doing. And we're like, we're never going to get anywhere like this. Someone has to make a decision to honor their God and to do what God is calling them to do. Yes, uh, we're building families here. And, and what she's talking about is the role of the wife, the role of a woman and trying to define the order of God, we're trying to establish the order of God so we can let you know how to strengthen your family here tonight. How you can do that by taking on the role that God intended you to have. Now, I understand some here are uh, separated, divorced, widowed, orphaned, but you can bring this same principle with God being your head and Christ being your head and giving this same um message to your family and to your children and so if we can remember God's order we then have the children and the children we're not going to get into too much because of time children this is what I want to say about children children it says in Genesis 128 be fruitful and multiply so children are a gift from the Lord Psalms 127 verse 3 behold children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb is a reward. Let's remember God's order to have a blessed, joyful, and successful family. First God, then man, woman, and then children, and then ministry and everything else. It's very healthy to take a time out and to have a date night, even if your little one starts to cry. This will create a trip. If you go out anyway and you decide to not give in to your little uh, child crying because they don't want you to leave, um, this will create a tremendous sense of security in your child's heart because the biggest gift you can ever give your children is the way that mom and dad love each other. A lot of marriages have it twisted when they say, my children come first. Everything I live for is my kids first. And we've heard it so many times. That is terrible. That's a curse. That is not from the Lord. And so it's out of God's order as we're trying to explain to you tonight. This type of attitude will create a lot of strife and discontentment in the family because it's not God's order. Building a healthy, blessed, and strong family in the Lord. And this is the part where I really want to touch on and, we're, and to end with this one last point about building the family and God's divine order here. And this is a great way 
to build the family. This is a very near and dear to my heart, this, this topic, and it's talking, to you, it's talking about the table. I want to talk to you a little bit about the table, and to me it means a lot. Um, for years, we have always dreamt since we started off in our two-bedroom apartment in Kendall, and then um, we were able to buy our home 10, 11 years ago, right? Uh, we, we bought our first little dining room table at a garage sale. I think we paid 20 bucks for it. And it had some laminated top surface. We were just getting started. And, but we were together, and we were happy. And we, 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 you know, just got married. And so we got this little table, and we got the scraper. And I could never forget, I think I rented a sander. I almost broke the table. And, the, and we're there trying to scrape off the table, and then we bought the stainer, and we stained it, and we got some on the wall. But we made the table as best as we could um, because it was what we could afford at the time. And so, but God really blessed us at the table, and I would make it a point. To me, it was important that I would sit at the table with my wife, with my new family. Because you know something? I never had that growing up. I don't remember as a kid sitting at the dinner table with my family. I just don't, because I don't think we ever did. I think that um, it may be Thanksgiving, and then if we did, when I do remember, it was my sister with the 80s haircut and my dad screaming at her because he, she couldn't, he couldn't see her face, and we weren't allowed to talk, and if anybody said anything, he would hit, his, he would hit the, the, cut, the glass with his, with his knife, and we were, like, freaking out. Everybody, like, you know, you talk about getting indigestion. You know, you couldn't even be a family at the table. And so. Or the classic. <laughs> this happened in his house and in my house, which is funny when we talk about growing up. Oh. Someone always spills something. You know, the drink spills. And the dad would always go, nunca falla. It never fails. And the poor kid is, like, trembling because, you know, one of us spilled something at the table. So, yeah, I, now when my kids spill something, I'm like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Clean it up. Kids are looking at me like. Which it was funny the other day we were having guests over and I was putting out the placemats and um, I noticed all my placemats were stained. <laughs> and it was the same kind of stain. It was they, they drink this red Hawaiian punch and each placemat had like a red circle embedded into each one of them. Like, I need new placemats. You know, of all the times they spilled drinks and we just refused to shout at them or get upset at that because that's like a childhood thing of ours so I want to talk to you about the table so we sold the apartment we lived there for a few years we had Joseph there our son then we moved we bought the house and for years we were donated somebody blessed us with a table and we enjoyed it and we loved it but I've always wanted a huge long table with eight decked out hard solid wood chairs with the design and you know the wood rustic looking table I really wanted one and so it was, it was pretty amazing. Just six weeks ago, God blessed us supernaturally with a table. We got a call. Hey, I have this table. We bought a new one. We want to give you. I'm thinking, you know, uh, maybe we'll see. I didn't even remember what the table looked like. But when we go to see it, I'm like, man, that's a decked out table. We couldn't even lift it up because it was solid wood and super hard. I had to bring in the manpower, you know, Gary. Vente para acá. And so... We got the table. We brought it home. George helped me, and we brought that table home. Praise the Lord! And um, we set it up, and I—it's—it's it's a tremendous blessing to me because to me the table is important. I'm gonna tell you why in a second. Um, just like here, when we got this church, we gutted it out. 
And we all came here as a family, and we were excited about our new home, church home. And one thing that everybody has ideas, right? Everybody wants to give their opinion of what color to paint the walls and where, where to put what where. And pastors are like, look, you see that back room there? We're not touching that room. That's going to be the fellowship dining hall because it's important when the brothers come together in fellowship to eat together and to dine together. Something happens when you sit together as a family at the table and you dine together. God cares about that. Jesus cares about that. And we care about what he cares about. And I can tell you that that has created a tremendous, it has planted something into my heart. And so God has really blessed us with this. So I always try to make it a point to eat at the table with my family. And we're going to talk to you about the benefits. And so God wants you to establish his kingdom within your first church. With it, which is your family, which is what we told you tonight. Your first church is your family. If your family is out of order and you're not taking on your roles, then you have no business doing anything here at church as far as being a leader or minister. Not I say, but the word of God says. And so we're not saying perfect. We're, we know that some of us are, are, are starting out and we're in the makings, and we want to teach you, um, and we want you to serve because the one who doesn't, it can no sirve, no sirve, but the one who doesn't serve is no good. So God wants you to serve. He wants you to be a part of this family, and we're going to help you. But what we're saying to you tonight is that your first ministry is your family. A banquet table is being set before you tonight, and the Lord wants you to set a banquet table for your family. And so um, I have a little thing that I like to say to my family, and it brings us close together. As most of you know, my last name is Torres. So I say, Team Torres, and right? We have Team Gill, Team Palma, Team Molina, Team Caracol, Team all of you guys. So team, you're, you have your team, right? And so you guys need to call your team out, and you need to bring your team sometimes and have a team meeting, have a team gathering, have some time together at the table, the importance of the table. I met, uh, we had the opportunity to meet a precious young Jewish couple at our um, last anniversary, Valentine's Day, right? And when we met this couple, I'm talking about the yeah, Orthodox, Jewish Orthodox, people. the real deal. These people were like, you know, and so we were able to talk and, and you know, we're friendly people. So we got next to them and, and the guy's name was Aaron and Rachel. And what a blessing to have met them. And when we started to talk to this uh, Jewish Orthodox couple, they were from the Bronx, New York. They own a successful butcher shop in New York. And when I started to talk to this young Jewish couple, I was amazed at the things that they were telling me. They knew we were Christian. We knew that they were Jewish. But we got along just great because we had one thing in common, our father. And so here's what we talked about. The first thing that he talked about to me, it wasn't about football. It wasn't about baseball. It wasn't about anything that had no eternal value. He started talking to me about his wife. They were newlyweds, I think, about a year or two into their marriage. No kids yet, or they did have a couple. They did have a couple kids, but they were, you know, new, newlywed married, like two, three years into their marriage. And he started to talk to me about when he met Rachel. And one of the things that he told me, which was powerful, was that he goes, look, I put in a good 14 to 15 hours a day at work. And but before I married my wife, Rachel, she knew we had the family business. But one of the things that she made me promise her was that I would come home for dinner every night at six o'clock. 
She said, you make sure you get here for dinner because that's what I care about and that's what the family cares about and that's what God cares about. Make sure you come home for dinner at 6 o'clock and then after we're done eating, you can go back to the shop and work until 6 in the morning if you want. But I want you here for dinner at 6. I'm like, wow. So have you been able to, you know, pull that off? And that guy's like, you know, pretty much because that's what we promised. So I try, and I know how important it is to my God, and I know how important it is to my wife, and I know how important it is to our family. And so I try to make it a point, no matter how busy, to take a time out and go. The next thing he brings up to me, I go, so what else do you, you know, you guys, what else? And she goes, oh, because we told her we were marriage counselors. So she was, Rachel was like a firecracker, man. She was like, oh, the next thing I made sure is that my husband tithes before we got married. Because if he was unfaithful with giving to God, he was going to be unfaithful to me. We're like, whoa. Whew, this woman doesn't play games. You want to come to Miami? Let's bring it live. <laughs> and so she freaked me out. And this guy was like, yeah, you know, and I go, so what'd you tell her? And, he, and Aaron's like, you know, I give, and I, 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 you know, and she's like, no, 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 no. You tithe. So you give your 10% to the Lord. And he's like, I, I'll start. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I give, but I'm not, you know, like, you know. And then so he said he put that affair in order for him because he cared about what this woman of God was telling him. So he put that in order, and he started to explain to me that he has a separate bank account just for tithes and offerings that a portion of his money goes here and the other portion goes just in that account this is Aaron this is not me he's saying that that account has separate just to give to the Lord and he says that God has blessed his business at such a degree that he gives way more than he earns because of he can't it, he, it just God has poured out so much giving into his Jewish community, and they live in a Jewish community. The next thing he talked to me about is how the Jewish people are a very together community, how they got each other's back. He told us uh, the story of the tow truck. What was it that he was saying about that? He was saying that, um, that like Joy says, they have each other's back, that when someone's car breaks down, let's say, and you need a tow truck, they don't call the regular tow truck company. They call someone in the Jewish community that owns a tow truck, and then that man stops what he's doing and comes over and tows that person's truck and doesn't charge him anything. Because then if that was a doctor that that happened to, when the tow truck owner gets sick, he calls the doctor. And the doctor goes and visits him and doesn't charge him anything. And so they serve one another without charging anything to each other because they realize that they're family, they're brothers and sisters, and that's how they treat each other. So when we were listening to these, this young couple pouring out their experiences to us and, and what, what we, were, we were learning from them and they were learning from us and we shared with them the gospel and, and what God has done for our life and they were very receptive to what God has done in our life and we were very receptive of what God has done in their life. But it was such a powerful time and I learned so much from this um, couple. But I have to tell you, this is why these guys are so disciplined and they take heed to God's instruction to such a, a degree that that's why that the Jewish people in the Jewish community owns 80% of the nations and the world's wealth. That's why. Because they know what togetherness is. They're a united group of people. 
they love God with all their heart. The ones that really love God, they honor God, and they take serious what the instructions of the Lord because they give. And so if we go over the benefits of eating together as a family with printouts, um, we have some printouts that, that are non-Christian from reputable uh, companies and people. And so look at the benefits of non-believers of if you can get your family to come together and eat a meal at the dinner table. This is not even speaking spiritual. This is just a practical statistic. It says, according to a number of reports issued by the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University, children who eat at least five times a week with their family are at lower risk of developing poor eating habits, weight problems, or alcohol and substance dependencies, and tend to perform better academically than their peers who frequently eat alone or away from home. That's a lot of benefits. Well, you, you know, you had me at hello. You had me at the part here where it says developing poor eating habits, weight problems, or alcohol or substance dependencies. And then so when we see these, these, um, these types of benefits, um, I have to tell you that we're able, we're able to, to grab hold. And these are scientists. These are people that have made studies. And, you know, something amazing happens when you bring your family at the table. This is not a time to start criticizing your children. It's not a time to start telling them off because they got a, a, a D in their test or homework. It's not a time to start talking about your bills. It's not a time to bash. This is a time, um, like Craig Hill says, to start to bless your kids. Start to speak blessing into their lives. Say, son, you know something? You're a blessing. I am proud of you. Man, I'm proud of you because of what you did and who you are. God has such amazing plans for you. Daughter, you're beautiful. You are precious in the sight of the Lord. God has amazing plans for you. He has plans to raise you up as a world-changing leader. And I am excited to see what God's going to do. Oh, you want to get into architecture? You're not only going to be an architect. You're going to be the head of the, head of the architects. And you're going to rule over the whole entire building. And God's going to make you the head and not the tail. And that's what you start to speak to your kids at that table. And then also, not only do you start to speak those blessings, but you need to be an active listener. You'd be amazed of how much your kids will tell you if you can just. But, you know, the funny thing is that before we can even get to that awesome blessing, I want to go back to the role of the wife for a second. Because in order for your family to be able to sit at the dinner table and receive that blessing from a father, there has to be dinner to serve at the table. Right? Amen. There has to be a mom and a wife at home that's willing to cook a meal for her family. You don't have to be Martha Stewart or Simone. Um, you can go to her cooking with his grace class and learn quite a few things. Um, but just willing to have that heart that you want to do this. You want to create this atmosphere in your home. You want to make it easy for your husband to want to come home. Some men don't want to come home because they have nothing waiting for them at home except a grumpy wife and misbehaved kids and a messy house. We have to create an environment that that will allow our husbands to be able to do this, to sit at the table and to bless the family and to, and to sit together to have this meal, to have the, the table cleared off. You know, sometimes the table gets filled with kids' homeworks and books or clothes or backpacks or whatever it is. But, you know, respect that time, respect that table, create that environment, allow this to be a possibility in your home so that your husband can sit at the table, enjoy a dinner. Your kids could feel comfortable with you there. And, and it always happens, like what Joy was saying, that 
the kids start talking, we learn a lot about what's going on in our kids' minds, their day at school, um, things that they're afraid of, the kid that made fun of them, or, you know, just that story that Joseph said that we, that we talked about earlier. He told us that at the table. You know, it just came up, and we learned so much about, about them in this time. And so there's so many more benefits besides conversation. There's also nutritional benefits. There's development benefits. And um, the list goes on as, as, as to why. Um, and the reason why it says that the kids are less likely to get into drugs, alcohol, and all this other stuff is because hopefully if you're sitting at the table, that's the time where mom and dad can instruct their children not to do those things. And its sense of security is built in these children's lives during that time that you're able to sit with them. So, having said that, I wanted to say a little a, a little side note that um, when we were talking about children, um, I just want to remind everyone, parents, that it is your responsibility to train up your children in the ways of the Lord. God has called you to do that. He's giving you that role. The husband is supposed to lead his, wash his wife with the word of God. He's, we're supposed as parents train up our children, like it says in Proverbs, in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart. This is not the responsibility of the church. It's not the responsibility of the Sunday school teachers. It's not the responsibility of the Christian school that you send them to. It's your responsibility and all these other institutions back up what you're teaching them. Because what good is it going to do if they're hearing these things at church, at school, or, or wherever from their pastor, their Sunday school teachers, and then at home they're seeing something completely different, completely opposite. You're the ones as parents that are going to have the greatest influence on your children. Just like when we said that Nick Molina was up here, that doesn't just happen. My son answering like that at 12 years old, that doesn't just happen. That takes a lot of talking and a lot of example from the parents to be able to see that fruit. Families with older teenagers eat fewer dinners together than those with younger children because their schedules change. And also the electronic devices, the TV shouldn't be on during that time. Um, the tweeting, the texting, the phones, all that should be cut off. The world could wait, put that aside, lock it up in a drawer, and set the law, lay down the law, and say, hey, we're not going to do that right now. Let's put that stuff away and let's spend some quality family time. Uh, two of the most common obstacles parents say uh, that they can't eat together at the table are late working hours and activities that overlap with mealtime, like soccer games and Girl Scout meetings, all kinds of stuff. Many families that do not or, or that do dine together make a, an effort to carve out the time. Some spend Sundays cooking meals for the week. Some do prep work the evening before. Some use takeout uh, a couple nights a week and put it at the table and serve just so they can sit down together. And, and many parents of young children uh, um, guiltily admit that they could not prepare a dinner if it were not, uh, if it not, for, if it weren't from the TV, which gets turned on for 30 to 60, 60 minutes a week while they cook. Um, listen, TV is 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 not a good thing. And I, growing up, I would eat in front of the TV. That's what I did. That's what I was used to because of the favorite show or the movie or the whatever. But tonight, I want to tell you that. God has an order of family. We said it was God, man, woman, children, ministry, and then everything else. Tonight, a banquet has been set before you. Tonight, the king is inviting you to sit at his table and dine with him, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wanting you to put things in order in your family, to take regard to the family, to fight for the family, to fight for marriage, to fight for your children, 
Stand up for what God has intended for your family. Don't give up. Don't quit. Seek out the word of God. Seek out the wisdom of the Lord. Hang out with people that are doing the right thing so you could learn from their example. Amen. Let's have the musicians come forward. And as we prepare our hearts, we're going to have Pastor come back up. Thank you very much. God bless all of you. Hallelujah. Let's give a big hand to the Lord. Woo! That's called bringing the substance. We have asked the Lord for years that we don't want to be a church that agitates emotions to be able, you grab a Coke bottle and you shake it and it bubbles up and there's no substance. And a lot of churches have become like that because the people don't want to hear truth. They don't want to hear God's order. And I know that God, listen, this, this has to be, this is complimentary to what happened here tonight. God knows more than you and I that this is a fallen and broken world. Everything in the world is messed up severely and beyond your capacity to even comprehend. So Joey and Suleika get here from that world that there was no semblance of any order in either of their lives. I know both of their parents. I know both of their testimonies. And it's huge what God has done in them. Right. Huge. All the glory to God. Amen. Amen. How God could just restore... So God puts things in order, things are dark, they're void, they're upside down, they're cracked, and not for one second, listen to me, in the heart of God, and in the thoughts of God towards us, not one second does he come with condemnation and with a huge, you're out of the box, because what God is doing is inviting you to sit at his table, and you need to promote these things. If these things are not picture perfect in your life you need to lift up that banner and say you know something it might not be it hasn't it hasn't had its fruition in my life but that's the way of the Lord and and if you were in a in a country and if if everything was upside down you would still have to say that's the way of the Lord if you went into a jungle and there was natives there and they're eating each other and you're like mm, how do I tell them that to be a cannibal is not really what God wants you would still have to say this is the way of the Lord. You know, with love, you cannot bring down. Dr. Tony Evans, a famous preacher there in Texas, he says one day his son took him out to the playground, and he says, Dad, I could dunk now. And he went out there, and there was a six-foot tall, you know, 10-foot is the official size. Well, he was dunking at a six-foot, and he says, Son, do not lower the standards to accommodate your incompetence. Don't, don't bring down the standards of God just because we're not reaching them. Amen? Those are God's standard. And they're holy. And God's grace is sufficient. And His Spirit is powerful. And He does incredible things that we can even dream how God, with His grace, puts everything in an order. Now, I was telling a, a young man here last week at the men's meeting because he says, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not getting it right. I said, that's all right because God loved you even when you were not even here. When you were really, really, really messed, and when you, the Bible says that we were enemies and trespassers, he loved us and gave his son. So I want to encourage you that, that these guys have done a fabulous job tonight, and at the same time, uh, 
John chapter 4, Jesus walks up to a woman who had five husbands and she's in an adulterous affair. And he invites her to sit at the king's table. That's powerful. I was like, how are you going to put that together? What, what are you going to do? And he said, she say, he said to her, woman, if you knew God's graciousness, his gifting, you would ask him and never quench again. You, 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 you would never be able to be thirsty again. So I don't know how God does it or what his, I know he does it. I just don't know how he does it. Let's stand tonight and say, God, have your grace come upon my family. That, that part of the table really touched my life and uh, it's so important. I have a, a Christian friend of mine who's from Korea. And when he meets a person, this is, this is very important. You know, this is not our standards with respect to how we live, but this is what he told me. He says, Joaquin, when I meet a family, if they don't sit at the table to eat dinner as a family, I don't let my kids play with them. I was like, what? His, his measure of like, he wants his kids to not be infected and affected. And, and he told me that, and I was like, I was blown away. That's huge. Uh, something in his, in, I didn't even ask him, I didn't go there, but something in his insight said that that was one of the parameters to safeguard his family. That he wouldn't allow his children to, to hang out with children whose parents, it wasn't even their children's fault, whose parents didn't have a time of sitting down. Um, th these are all safeguards. Like we heard Jenison Franklin the other night, everybody sets their safeguards where they protect their families. I'm not, I, I don't know those issues. Um, the same thing with the tithing and the husband. That was powerful tonight. You're not going to be faithful to God. You're going to be unfaithful to everybody. Uh, and that's intense. It's powerful. So uh, tonight has been a, a powerful night. And, and again, God wants to bring you up to his standards. Now, I'll tell you what the Bible says, and Paul writes, Timothy, he says, In the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine. That word endure is suffer. Because sound doctrine makes you suffer. I was sitting there suffering. I was like, okay, Lord, make me, make me get there. Where, where, and this is God's standard. This is not Joey's standard. It's not Suleika's standard. It's the king's standard. And we're going to the kingdom. How many are going to go to the kingdom? Amen. We used to sing a song. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. And sol. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Pronto, si, muy pronto. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. The angels will be there. We are going to see the King. The angels will be there. We are going to see the King. The angels will be there. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King, and Jesus will be there. We are going to see the King, Jesus will be there. 
We are going to see the King. Jesus will be there. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. Tell your friend, I will be there. I'm going to see the King. I will be there. I am going to see the King. I will be there. I am going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King.